This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Jim Sumner, President of the USA Poultry and Egg Export Council. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Jim Sumner next. Today's Open Mic segment is brought to you by America's Crop Insurance Industry, which is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. Providing individualized protection on more than 300 million acres of farmland, crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Consumer demand for poultry has brought a significant growth in production among the nation's integrators over the past several years. Jim Sumner, president of the USA Poultry and Egg Export Council, says the industry has seen exponential growth in export demand, growing from 5% of production to 17% in the last three decades. Exports have become an integral part of our total marketing picture. I think beyond what anyone in our industry would have envisioned some 30 years ago. It's, it's key. We're now in 120 markets around the world. Not only are we talking broilers and chicken, but we're also talking turkey, which is exporting around 10% of our production, eggs, which is uh, between 3 and 4% of the production. And this is with a commodity that nearly every country in the world produces chicken and egg. Obviously, what works for us is that we are one of the lowest cost producers. Of course, the reason we're the lowest cost producer is because we have the best access to corn and soybeans produced economically and at our doorstep more so than most any other country in the world. What can you attribute is leading to the growth that you've seen in export business? Well, to be honest, uh, it's not so much the middle class that has been our key market, but it's been more developing countries or undeveloped countries. Because especially if you're talking chicken, we can export chicken leg quarters at a cost that is well below anybody's cost of production. Actually, it's it's even below our own cost of production here in the U.S. because we found out a long time ago that if we cut up a chicken into pieces, we can sell those pieces for a higher price than we can the whole chicken. So we sell the, the breast pieces for a higher price. We sell the wing pieces for an even higher price, which means we can sell the leg pieces for a lower price, and that's the same price for which we export them. So uh, it's it's a win for our industry. It's a win for consumers in other countries, especially in developing countries. So I mean, it's 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 kind of like a, a marriage made in heaven. You know, kind of like when my wife and I were dating. Uh, I found out she liked the dark meat, and I liked the white meat. So we said, "Well, heck." Let's get married. (laughs) (laughs) Have you had to, or do you anticipate that you will have to change the animal or that you'll have to change the packaging 
to gain market share? Or do your customers like the product that you have the way it is? Well, we tend to export those products that we most want to export. We don't do quite as good at uh, producing to fit the international demand as as some of us would hope that we do. A good example is, is Japan. They like a, a boneless leg meat at a very high specification. You know, we're working with our industry to try and encourage them to move in that direction. But it's a very specialized cut and a piece that requires hand labor, and of course labor is something that is, uh, we don't have a lot of excess of it here in the United States anymore. I guess that's a good thing. We tend to export those products that we we want to export, primarily the leg quarters, the drums, the whole legs. But at the same time, uh, we're seeing a change in consumer trend here in the United States. We're seeing uh, uh, consumers move more towards the dark meat, the boneless thighs, uh, and and that's a good thing. And in fact, as a result, we're seeing a, a less of a margin between our breast meat prices and our leg meat prices. Used to, a lot of these foreign countries, whether we're talking uh, Brazil or even Mexico or China, they would want access to the U.S. market because of our high breast meat prices. Now, that's not quite the case because we've seen an evening out between our breast meat price and our leg meat prices because of a, of a change in, in consumption and demand here in the United States. Chefs are finding out that dark meat maybe help, retains the flavor a little better, maybe is a little more moist, and the same thing with turkey as well. A lot of attention has been given to the Chinese, certainly in our relationship with soy and other products, but African swine fever hit their industry, hit their country hard. What opportunity did that provide, and does it still provide for you today? It certainly did, and in fact, it was about this time last year we really set up and took notice of the situation with African swine fever, and you know, uh, as long as I can remember, the poultry industry has had to play second fiddle to the pork industry because pork has always been the most highly consumed meat protein in the world. Well, African swine fever changed that. Last year at our International Poultry Council meeting and at which I presided, and it was at that meeting that we declared that poultry is now king. Consumption of poultry had finally overtaken pork. And unfortunately, it was due largely to African swine fever in China, the country with the highest pork consumption in the world. We also realized we had a a void to fill. And many of your listeners may not realize, but uh, for the last five years, the U.S. has been banned from China. And although we knew it was really a political issue, they blamed it on a case of high path avian influenza that we had back six years ago, five and a half years ago, So, but they never lifted the ban. So January of this year, our first shipments in more than five years arrived in China. And I, I was there when the first shipments arrived, and we thought, oh, this is, this is a wonderful day. And, of course, one thing that China likes that no other country consumes are the paws or the chicken feet that we can sell to China at a price uh, 
20 times higher than we can sell it for in the United States for rendering. So uh, everybody was rejoicing. And, you know, that same week that I was in China when our first shipments arrived was the same week that the coronavirus was announced. Talk about timing. So just as you were there and celebrating the first uh, U.S. product making it into China, again, the coronavirus began to, to rear its head, and that brought a tremendous challenge, tremendous challenge to that country. Ports yes, were closed, uh, transportation, uh, the, the whole gambit of issues uh, kicked in. But now as their coronavirus appears to be waning, what's happening with U.S. poultry? How were containers affected? How did transportation affect? And, and is that falling now? Well, for a while it did slow down trade. We, we had a problem getting access to the ports. There were not enough plug-ins to plug in the reefer contain, containers to keep the product frozen. We had to divert some ships. But that's all changed. Now we have access to the ports, the truckers are trucking, the product is moving to supermarkets and wet markets in China. So now the only constraint is with the containers themselves, because China has a front haul and they have a back haul. The front haul is their manufactured goods from their factories that they send to the United States, and that's the route for which our ocean freight carriers make the highest returns. And then we get these containers in the United States, we empty them, we fill them full of frozen product and make sure they're safe to return, and then that's the backhaul back to China. Well, there's been a hiccup through recent months, and a lot of those containers are still in China waiting for these manufactured goods. So containers are a little tight. I have not heard that it's actually prevented any shipments from going, but we are hoping that that smooths out, and every indication is that it will. So everything is improving, and China should be a long-term market at just a real good time for our industry. Jim, I understand that the U.S. and the Chinese, there were some negotiations before, and and perhaps this phase one trade deal is offering hope that things might not be as difficult between the two sides in the event of another uh, infection or disease in our flock. That's exactly right, Jeff. And in fact, uh, as a result of the phase one agreement, our two governments negotiated new language affecting regionalization for animal diseases for poultry. So if we were to have another incident of highly pathogenic avian influenza, we wouldn't get banned totally for China like happened five years ago. It would only be the affected state. And for low pathogenic AI, there would be no restriction whatsoever. So that's that's a big achievement. So between that and eliminating these retaliatory tariffs, we have an opportunity right now. As I mentioned, China has always been primarily a pork-consuming nation. I feel right now we have a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to convert a lot of these Chinese consumers into poultry lovers, just like we are here in the United States. Of course, many Chinese restaurants and dishes are aimed more at pork, but uh, chicken uh, and even turkey can fill those slots as well. We're, we're thinking that once poultry became king, 
we don't want to give up the throne. The Trump administration has targeted Europe as an area where there needs to be better trade relations, and Europeans don't want to talk about agriculture, and we absolutely want to talk about agriculture. And Secretary Purdue has mentioned that uh, certainly the, their uh, restrictions they put up on U.S. poultry is something that he'd like to talk about. Uh, what challenges with Europe, and is there any way through? Secretary Sonny Purdue has been a, a tremendous supporter of our industry, unlike any secretary I've ever known. Uh, and he has met this challenge on head-on. Uh, he just recently produced a little YouTube video where he uh, puts to rest some of the European allegations about chlorinated chicken, and and these are all just trade excuses that the Europeans are using because they don't want us competing in their market. They've already got Brazil, so they don't want the U.S. treading on their consumers. So, uh, sure, we would like access to the EU, uh, but... You know, we feel strongly that there's not going to be a trade agreement between our two countries without agriculture being a part of it. And we can take that a step further and say there's not going to be an agriculture agreement likely without poultry being a part of it either. So uh, Europe is very protectionist with their policies, and uh, they will use every excuse, including chlorine, which we don't even use for the most part, as an antimicrobial anymore. We only use it to sanitize equipment. But, uh, you know, we we can put up our record for salmonella and campylobacter against uh, the EU or the U.K. And, and I think, actually, we may be closer to working out an agreement with the United Kingdom than the rest of Europe. They're uh, a little more reasonable there and... Uh, I think we can more likely come to terms. The United Soybean Board has been pretty well outspoken that the top customer for their product is livestock and poultry is included there. Some may not know that there is a relationship between the United Soybean Board and also the USA Poultry and Egg Council. (laughs) Yes, there certainly is. Uh, We love our soybean producers and, and our corn growers, too. But, uh, you know, a lot of people, uh, well, let me, let me put it this way. Uh, in the corn and soybean belt is largely uh, the cattle and the hog belt. So a lot of these producers don't realize that 51% of soybean meal is fed to chicken uh, and poultry and that uh, over 30% of all corn goes into poultry. So poultry is the biggest consumer of both corn and soybeans. So we have developed a tremendous relationship. Uh, They're active members of our board of directors. They help us with marketing decisions and encourage us with uh, opportunities to work in specific markets around the world, whether you're talking Illinois or Indiana or Nebraska or South Dakota, uh, Kansas, 
most every soybean board has a seat on our board and and they they love what we do and we have a tremendous relationship and you know what it's helping us ship more poultry overseas and you know they came to us uh or actually i guess we went to them some 15 years ago and uh they wanted to know how we could encourage our producers to produce more to grow more chickens and turkeys and we said well you know we pretty much maxed out per capita consumption here in the united states if you really want to want to help us help us grow our export markets because 95 percent of the world's consumers live outside the united states they jumped on it and uh it's it's a tremendous relationship that we've developed uh through the years Jim, these are unprecedented times here in the United States, and as we're speaking, there are uh, farmers that have houses that are full of birds that are growing. We have integrators that have customers uh, both here and globally, and we have consumers that enjoy your product and want to, to have a steady supply coming forward. We talked about the export business. Let's talk about the domestic market where the restaurant industry has been closed or at least is uh, certainly reduced because of the trying to spread the this coronavirus uh, disease in the country. How is that affecting the integrator where more product may be going to the grocery store than restaurants? Well, first of all, let me just make note that USAPEAK is an export organization, and we have, of course, the National Chicken Council, the National Turkey Federation, the American Egg Board, United Egg Producers, uh, that concentrates on the domestic market. But, of course, uh, uh, with all that's going on, we probably have a, a bit of an understanding of what's going on on both sides. And, and the good news is, right now, consumers are, shall I use the term, flocking <laughs> to the store <laughs> to, uh, to get goods. And I'm not talking about just toilet paper, but, uh, eggs, uh, the sales from eggs right now are unprecedented. Same way with, with chicken and turkey and duck and the refrigeration, uh, the refrigerated cases are, are emptying out, we hear. Uh, but of course it's a different situation with the restaurants. Many restaurants are closing their dining areas and only have their drive-throughs open. Uh, Chick-fil-A is a good example, and you can't move the same volume through a drive-up window as you can through the full restaurant. So this, this is becoming a little issue. We're trying to shift production and distribution from one area to the other, and uh, there are some logistical challenges, but, you know, it, it's working, and we have... Uh, some of our member companies that are working, putting new shifts on over the weekend to satisfy the needs, especially for supermarkets. And uh, right now, if anything, we have a surplus of chicken wings and chicken tenders because those are the items that are primarily uh, consumed and served in many of the uh, restaurants. Uh, so consumers are probably going to be able to get a value if they want to go buy their own wings and tenders and cook them themselves but uh uh the, the thing is everybody is working 
we're still doing production. Everybody wants to eat chicken. Uh, it's the lowest cost protein available, and uh, we're we're going to meet the demand and keep the product flowing. Jim Sumner, we want to thank you for taking time uh, to spend with us here on this edition of Open Mic. Jim, it is Open Mic, and you've got the last word today. Well, thanks, Jeff, and, and I might take advantage of that because for me, and I'm sure every one of your listeners, we're truly in a unique time in history. Never have we've seen such a global catastrophe truly affecting each one of our lives. I have close friends and staff in China, Italy, and even in Spain who have been going through very scary times. Some of them have even lost family members. I don't know how bad it's going to get here in the United States or elsewhere, but these next few months could be grueling. Many of us will hold up in our homes trying to protect our loved ones, but through it all, we must survive, and that means we need to consume healthy and nutritious food. We cannot all stay inside, though. You know, it's going to take a, a considerable workforce to continue to enable families to put food on their table. It starts with farmers and their crops, the grain elevator operators, the contract poultry growers, the thousands of production line workers in the poultry plants, even the government inspectors truck drivers. They're the ones that are going to be the heroes. We all have an obligation if we're to survive this crisis. In the words of of one of our great sports legends down here in Georgia, we're all going to have to hunker down and get through these troubled times. For those of you involved in production agriculture, thanks and good luck. You've got a huge responsibility on your shoulders. For the rest of us, please let's let's take a moment to pray for their well-being in hopes that we don't lose one key link in this chain. These people are the real heroes. They're the ones who are going to get us through these times, along with our medical professionals and so many others. We're going to get through this situation, especially if we all do what's expected of us. But I just wanted, Jeff, everyone to know that those of us in the poultry industry are truly dedicated. We're going to find a way to continue to produce our nutritious products and find a safe way to get them to our consumers. So that's our promise. Thanks, Jeff, for this opportunity. Our thanks to Jim Sumner, President of the USA Poultry and Egg Export Council, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Dowling.